0: Welcome to the Anthropology in Business podcast, where you'll learn about the many ways anthropology is applied in business and why business anthropology is one of the most effective lenses for making sense of organizations and consumers. Through conversations with leading anthropologists working in advertising, marketing, consumer behavior, organizational culture, user experience, and many other roles, you'll learn firsthand what it means to do business anthropology and how the work differs from academic anthropology. We will discuss issues like the pace and depth of research in business, our visibility and influence as practitioners, and what we can do to build our brand. We will also focus on the value and impact of our research in business so that we can help business leaders understand why they should be hiring anthropologists. I'm your host, Matt Arts, a business anthropologist specializing in design anthropology and working at the intersection of product management, user experience, and business strategy. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Anthropology and Business Podcast. I'm here today with Natalia Uzme Manrique, and Natalia is a service designer at S4N a co-owner at FLIPA, which is a business anthropology consultancy. She's also the co-founder and editor of the first digital magazine for business anthropology in LATAM, Uh, created the first worldwide online business anthropology summit for LATAM. And uh, today we're going to be talking a little bit about you know, your background, of course, Natalia, we're going to talk a little bit about business anthropology, you know, in context of, say, Columbia and Latam, some of the initiatives that you're engaged in, a little bit about uh, what you're doing to bring anthropology outside of academia. But I'd first like to actually start uh, with your degree because you, you received a, a degree in applied cultural analysis, which obviously relates, right? And, and cultural analysis is broadly what we're doing, but could you just tell us a little bit about that program? Why was it called Applied Cultural Analysis versus anthropology and you know, what did you get out of that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you Matt for the invite and uh, welcome everyone to this episode. Uh, so in regards to my, my background, I have a Master's in Applied Cultural Analysis, like you mentioned, from Blount University. And I remember the first week of, of uh, university, um, they told us you need to use these theoretical frames in order to understand uh, the reality, the context that different people, different customers of several experiences are uh, using in order to behave or to be in the world. So. They they set us on, on an adventure and we needed to explore the city. We were in, in Lund uh, in the south of Sweden and we needed to explore the city. And we needed to reframe an experience, a, a specific experience into the cultural analytical framework. And we needed to create a storytelling. We needed to brand that experience by using the theoretical aspects. So my group and I, we ended up in a, in the cemetery. And we needed to understand the different practices, the rituals, the habits, the myths that were embedded within that experience. And what did it meant to be in the cemetery? What it did meant for of course, uh well, the the, the situation, the, the place as an experience, what did it mean for people that went to visit uh their their families or well the, the person that, that were there? And when when we use we realized that it was not just about doing the ethnographical research, we needed to use different frameworks in order to really go in depth on what was happening there. What were the, the discourses, the social discourses, for example, the cultural aspects that were embedded within that site. And we needed to use them in order to create a strategy, in order to brand, rebrand that experience, if we might, if you can call it an experience. So, and I'm telling that this story because that's what cultural analysis is. You use different anthropological, sociological uh, theories in order to understand the context, in order to create this strategy and to deliver something for the business. And when I say something, I I do not want to sound reductionist, but something is how to package this mindset, how to package the tactical aspects that you need to embed within a product, within a service. So for two years, that's what we did. We did a lot of reading for, from different theoretical aspects. And then we were encouraged to use them in a very active way. Because when I, when I see what I see oftentimes is that people are used to read the theory. Yeah, it, it serves a, as a model of thinking. And as a way to to see and perceive the world, but they do not actually think as the theory can actually be the methodology. So I think that there's a, a space of opportunity we can see that theories are actually alive. They're not just for reading, but you can actually use them when you are creating a strategy for the business, for an experience, for the public, or for the private sector. So, in a very high level, that's what uh, applied cultural analysis meant to me, and well, to to the group I graduated with.
0: Good, thanks for sharing that. And so, I'm curious, what um, if prior to that, in you know what we call undergrad here, I'm not sure what you call it in Columbia necessary, but in the, you studied languages, modern languages. So, what made you go from that? to applied cultural analysis, and why did you pick that program, say, over something that was called anthropology? Any reason?
1: Mm, Well, I I did my bachelor's in modern languages, but it was with focus on organizational culture and organizational communication. So I do see a link with uh, cultural analysis or organizational anthropology because uh very early in my, in my career I, I realized that i needed to understand people i needed to understand how companies were behaving what they thought was the world like how they created the products and services what was the mindset what was the intention that they had and and how that impact that made or created an impact in the whole in the whole system so in the bachelors, I, I, I very soon uh, pick up that I wanted to study people, how they behave, but within the organizational uh, side or frame. And that's how I ended up choosing Sweden, choosing uh, London University, uh, because my main, interesting, my main uh, interest was to understand the why behind both of the sides, the organization and how humans uh, reacted to what organizations were providing for them, be it uh, employee experience or you can call for the final client. It was very interesting and intriguing for me to understand the sense-making process of these items. So that's why I chose to go on this adventure.
0: Good. And so, you know, so in your case... You wanted to work in business. At least it sounds that way, right? From from the from the start, you didn't yeah. you didn't do the path that many people did, which is you know anthropology degree and then I need a job. What am I going to do and come back? So we actually are alike in that way, where you know basically we got these sort of degrees for for this purpose. So considering that, um, you know, you you always were on this path to apply that knowledge in the business sector. But at some point in time, you came across the concept of business anthropology and, and maybe not maybe not initially. Do you know when that was and, and how that happened?
1: Uh, it was when I was doing my master's because uh, to be super honest, I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, what is a cultural analyst? I, I did, at least here in LATAM, in Colombia, it doesn't reveal. Well. You don't really understand like I'm reading... Uh, for called, I'm reading uh, Irving Goffman. What am I going to do with this? I don't really get what's the applied version of, on my career, and um, I started to to analyze, to talk with different people, to search uh, well in in different environments. Like, what's the main goal of a cultural analyst? What can I do in the private sector? And um, that's when I realized by looking at different companies and different business cases, that what I was doing was actually, from my understanding and my perspective, business anthropology. I was conducting ethnographical fieldwork with that little ingredient that I don't really think that too much people take advantage of. And I think it's an asset of turning, uh, like I mentioned, theories into methodologies. And I could do that. I could create a product and a service or an experience and deliver a a product and a service with a purpose that was different from what other people were doing. And as you can see, while I'm talking, I'm not just focused on the research side. I'm really, really focused on the apply side. Like what's the end deliverable that I can give to businesses. So it it was, I would say it was a soul searching process i wasn't really sure at the beginning what i would end up with but yeah it, it, it all got me to to here to talking with you about the process yeah
0: so you are you know you you mentioned how you've done a few things first in colombia right uh, with flipa and 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 the summit and the you know in the digital magazine so Could you just maybe share with us all, you know, you're the first person from Columbia to be on here and um, I'd like to know what does the business anthropology community look like in Columbia today? I mean, I I do know from LinkedIn and a few other places, you do see sort of a growing amount of people identifying that way from Columbia. Um, It does seem like UX service design are growing, but just could you give us for anybody in the States or elsewhere in the world, a little overview of what that industry looks like right now?
1: Well, when we began with FLIPA, that is 2014, 2016, uh, it was pretty, pretty, uh, how to say it in English, pretty, it was a a pretty empty field, I would say. There was no one, uh, because people were super afraid of calling themselves business anthropologists. And I think that you have heard this before. Mm -hmm. There's a, a narrative where you cannot go and uh, suggest your services for different companies because you are selling yourself uh, for something that is believed that is bad. So we at Splipa, we started to create this public discourse on the benefits that business anthropology has. Of course, for the companies, but different anthropologists started to like hear what we were saying. They were pretty much engaged. They had different questions about what are you doing? How does it work? What are the benefits? What are the trade-offs that you're going to make uh, working with, uh, with companies? And suddenly what I saw was a, a change within the mindset and discourse. People that I know, that, for example, you mentioned uh, LinkedIn, uh, they, they, they had their, their how to say their description, anthropologists. And now you see them business anthropologists. So I think that could be a little detailed, but I think it speaks volumes of the progression and evolution of how we are perceiving the forces of anthropology in the applied field. Uh, When we started, of course, we started doing uh, public talks for different companies. So it was both anthropologists and public uh, companies that started to realize the benefits out of having an anthropologist thinking on the whole system and really giving a different perspective. I do know other companies here. I, I know companies here in Colombia that are actually working with business anthropologists and I'm super glad uh, that they are conducting or developing uh, this extra message for people that are still at the university. They do not know what to do. It's like a, an existential uh, crisis, right? Like, what am I going to do after I finish my my, my studies? So these are different companies. Flipa. Well, I could name some, but I will. (laughs) There are other companies that are working on that, Uh, and I actually have like really close acquaintances that are working on on how to like lift the veil that exists because there are lots of myths. Then again. Companies do not know what anthropologists uh, or anthropology can do is able to do. Uh, you are going you're going to conduct research and that's it no, that's not it. I can do the whole process. you trust me, I will uh, get back to you with the results and deliverables. So we are really um creating I would say a new wave here in in Colombia, and I'm really happy about that, I must say.
0: Yeah, it's great. Congrats on that. So I want to come back to the deliverables in just a second, but to just to stay on the Columbia track for one sec a few more minutes, I'm curious to know, is it getting picked up in academia at all by not, not by the students per se, but by you know those who are teaching and, and you know administrators, are they seeing the value in this at all?
1: Uh that's a really great uh, question, Matt. Um I would say there's uh, still a very traditional uh, discourse within uh, academia. Uh, we were in 2019, we were at the uh, National Congress uh, of Anthropology, and there was like a, a small section of business anthropology. Uh, I went on, I gave my discourse, I, I presented the business case that we were working for, and you know what? <laughs> the, the room was was empty, they left. They So I think that also speaks volumes about, like, the frictions that we still have. I think that they are still creating this mental model around anthropology. That's the bad side of anthropology. Do not dare to go there because that's not ethical. You're going to do wrong. They are going to mess up with your processes that's not really ethnography if we're talking about two three weeks of, of field work for example so what are you doing are you corrupting the the profession? the reality it is not I mean we are in 2021 needs think they, they need to change they need to evolve and I don't know if we are re- if here in latam and in Colombia and I do know that in other countries in other geographies, it's pretty much the same. I don't know if you're ready for that change. Re- you, I mean anthropology, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know, but you certainly need it if you want to stay alive. That yeah. there's there's no other way around. We need new processes. We need new discourses. We need an open mindset in order to uh, in order to project the benefits that our profession and I. I am a cultural ally, but I will include myself uh, as a, an anthropology. If we need, if we want to survive, we need to progress. And I don't know, academia is not ready for that. At least here in in Colombia, from what I have seen,
0: of course. Yeah, not much here. I, it's there's a few programs here, but by and large, it's it's the same. So, yeah, it's uh, I didn't expect something else necessarily. Um, because that's what you hear from most people that you talk to, but just wanted to check. in. so in there, and we'll make our way to the deliverables. But you, you know, you were talking about that it's that the work is not unethical. That the speed or pace of research is, you know, not a problem. Um, so, you know, in, in my master's program, the pace was already quick. Right, uh, I wasn't off for a year doing doing research so, and I always worked in business so that was never shocking to me and it makes perfect sense why it's that fast in business but I'd like to get your input on you know, what is your argument to people who, who are aside from needing to stay relevant what's your argument to say that it is ethical work that it is important work that we need to be involved in this
1: okay so my answer is going to be a little bit existentialist because um, what's Ethical, you need to decide that. I mean, it is not the business that is going to make you unethical, right? You have your own uh, ways of thinking, your habits, your positions within the world, and you understand when a project is ethical or not ethical from the very, from the brief. Let's say an example. So, not by going into the project, into the actual project, you're going to say, oh my God three months in advance in within the project, this is unethical. No, you're going to realize it way before that, and then you're going to make a decision. So in life, we're going to face different projects. Some of them are going to be a little bit messy, unethical, and then you are in the position, of course, of deciding if you want to take or not. For, <laughs> You will not take that 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 project, but you are in the position of making that decision for yourself. Businesses are not per se, not most of them, some of them perhaps, but not all of them are bad or unethical. And the you have edge agency in order to to put yourself first and and your profession. So that's my take on that. You are the one that decides what project you take which projects you, you, you choose to take. And yeah, and from that view or from that point of view, you are really going to work on uh, sustainable projects. You're going to work on uh, employee experiences for companies that truly care about people, that are people first. You're going to work on a product that is going to enhance people in need. So it is all about you and not so much as the options that that company present to you. So when we turn that into, oh, my God, businesses are so bad and I'm not, I'm not going to get into them. You have the liberty to choose. Go ahead and make the right decisions. Uh, I think that, yeah, that would be my my argument towards how to perceive What's in front of us, uh, and 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 be able to to choose. It's it's super simple. It's practical. It's pragmatic, and it works.
0: <laughs> yeah. So in terms of the work you've done, you have yeah. You know, wherever I was reading a bio, um, you mentioned. You know, everything from sort of marketing, UX, service design. So, you know, you've seemed to, I think, and even organizational. So you've, you know, kind of at least dipped your toe in like lots of different areas that we apply these this this knowledge, these skills. And so I'd like to get it maybe just a sense of considering that now you took a service design role. And, and we'll get there, and we can talk about that role in a little bit more detail, because um, I actually haven't gone into detail of service design much on the podcast yet. So, so we'll get there. But I'd like to know, like along the way, tell us a little bit about the process. You know, obviously, so you're you're part of FLEEPA, it's an agency or a consultancy. So you're picking up clients that are in different industries or have different needs. So, what was the process like of you sort of consulting in all those different ways? Again, UX, service design, organizational marketing.
1: Well, in order to tell you about that, I think I need to tell, super quick, of course, the story about uh, FLIPA. I actually, the first stakeholder that I needed to convince convince about the power of business anthropology or applied cultural analysis was my business partner. And you know her. She's Giovanna, right? You met her at the the summit. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but she's my mother. Uh, this is a, a family company. So when I arrived from my master's degree, uh, she's a business administrator like as, as her profession. and I mean, really she's all about numbers, she's all about a strategy, business and I was telling her or, or sharing that no we need to use social sciences. We need to understand context. and it was very messy for her at the beginning and it was very confusing. But I I got there. I I really sold that out. And I I told her, um, okay, Joanna, so what if we get together, we create this partnership, and we start working with the clients that your company already has uh, because Flippa has 18 years uh, in the market. Uh, So we have different types of, of clients, especially from the banking sector. so we had an opportunity because no one in Colombia was doing what I was suggesting to Joanna. To so I convinced her and we started uh, creating this messaging, this uh, approach to the clients that we had, the, the, the base that we already had. And they started, It's they, they were curious, they were interested about what we could do. Uh, so that's how we ended up approaching it and having like our first set of clients specifically as business anthropologists for the consultancy on that area. Um, we started working with internal processes at the beginning. So how to design uh, uh, a change management process for a digital transformation. And this was for a brewing company for AB InBev for eighteen thousand people and we saw the project mainly based on the idea that and this was super new i know that what i'm going to say is not new for you <laughs> that we needed to understand the needs the behaviors um, that the, the the employees had around uh, well digital processes around what well, different contextual aspects that they have been facing because they were merging, two companies were merging. So that was going to impact the digital transformation. Uh, what were the, the, the notions that they had around this process? What were they going to think about? What were the imaginaries, um, et cetera, et cetera. So we started with this uh, type of projects the hush started to, to spread out. We uh, began to work with IT companies, with LAMBI, IS, which is the National Association of Entrepreneurs here, here in Colombia, and with different clients that understood the value, and we sort of started to expand on the, the services that we had, organizational culture, organizational communication, change management, then we faced uh, with projects with UX research, marketing, and it was a seemingly easy process or transition or hybrid, because at the end of the day, what we were doing is that we were conducting uh, research fieldwork. we were using our toolkit of theories, and it was very organic. Um, of course, you need a set of a specific um, knowledges, or knowledge within different items, but we had a, a team with different, with different, uh, with a different set of knowledge that would uh, enhance what anthropology anthropology was the base, and then the team UX uh, customer experience they would enhance it by using those lenses that we already had and the methodology that we we had created. Got it.
0: And so, yeah, and that gives some context because originally I was thinking, you know, that it was maybe a little bit smaller of a team and that you were doing a lot of it. And where I was going with that is, you know, a lot of people really specialize in one of those areas for the most part. You know, there's a, you see some overlap, but you generally don't see somebody doing like, you know, organizational marketing UX or design necessarily. So, um, so yeah, that makes a little bit more sense. But you've now you know, with, with those experiences have decided to focus on service design. So I'd be curious to know, is there anything along the way that sort of pointed you in this direction?
1: Uh, yeah, I was pretty much in love uh, with service design. In 2016, we, we had a project in which we had to design well design a service for an organization, and we needed to take a look at the different touch points that existed, at the value proposition of the company, and how to engage people from the beginning to the end of the process. And within the project, I, I really understood that this was it, for at least for my path as as a cultural analyst. What I was looking was having a systemic or a holistic thinking, and service design is exactly like that. You need to take a, a high level look, but you also need to be super, super detailed with everything that happens within the experience. So I knew that I would really enjoy this, and I wanted to make a switch and work uh, specifically with a technological a tech company here in, mm-hmm. in Colombia or, or elsewhere. And right now, I'm working, for example, in employee experience, in designing the value proposition of this tech company in the career path. I'm, I'm in different projects, career path, um, some projects within talent acquisition. And I'm really enjoying it. Because like I mentioned, it is all about details, but it is also having like a strategic mindset in order to understand the trade-offs, the risks, the needs, the needs both of the business that you are helping uh, with creating and of course the employees. And that's, that's pretty much it. it. It really happened super fast because I have been in the, this company for five months. So lots of learning, but also really understanding that there's a true match between uh, business anthropology or applied cultural analysis and what I'm doing as a service uh, designer.
0: And so in this experience, are you getting to bring, you know, a lot of the theory to bear on on the work that you're doing? And, you know, I appreciate that we don't always get to verbally discuss such things in a lot of workplaces but i mean are you finding that you're really able to bring what you learned in cultural analysis into this process
1: yeah i have been able and i'm happy about that um because um i think and of course this is only my perception but i think that my team my team is uh they are designers industrial designers graphic designers, etc., and I'm the only anthropologist. So what I think that I bring into the table is this ability, then again, to use the theoretical frameworks and translate them into specifically the employee experience. So for example, if we're talking about um, creating rewards for intrinsical and extrinsic rewards for the employee, how are we going to do it? So what if we use this idea of this notion of the gift? How, what, how can we create exchanges or um, a certain dynamics a certain dynamics of consumption of experiences? What are we giving to that employee? What are we achieving with that experience and how we create a, a solid relationship, but by, by this uh, exchange, of notions, be it material, virtual, etc. So I think that that's one of the key items I have used. For example, this notion of the gift, I also bring up, oftentimes, Irving Goffman in, re- in regards of the theatrical side, the back and the front stage. What can we do, for example, as the uh, talent acquisition process? It is a very theatrical moment when you're interviewing a candidate, right? You need to sell all your company, your whole company, in thirty minutes or perhaps an hour. How do you create an experience in order not to seem super generic like other companies? And that's when the three as we call comes to life. What do I do in the in the in the back? How do I become a, an actor in for in front of my audiences? What are the key aspects that? What is the key relational aspect that I want to create? For my audiences, how do I become memorable for them when there's so much competition? So, there are lots of bits of theories that I have sold to the <laughs> internal stakeholders, of course, with, with patience and strategy. But <laughs> yeah, they it's sold. It's sold.
0: <laughs> so, let's just expand on that a little. So, you know, frequently on the podcast, I have talked to people about. Um, you know, how you communicate, you know, sort of insights or how you sell these ideas, uh, whether that's theory that's backing it up or certain recommendations you might be making. And so, um, you know, have you found anything that works well for you to communicate, you know, the value of what you're suggesting?
1: I think that's the tricky part because I cannot say like I have the magic formula for all the people that are are hearing us to use because I'm still working on that to be to be super honest and I think and this might sound cliche but it is the ability to use a compelling storytelling as you're selling it perhaps the Perhaps business people are not interested in knowing, okay, this is urban government or this is, no, they're interested in what's the the model that I'm going to use. So if you can translate what is super, super theoretical into a series of high-level steps, if you can show them what are the going to be the, the benefits and the outcomes as for the experience that they are, they are trying to create, you're going on the right uh, path and of course you need to talk about about money because yeah businesses are money right so you need to to talk about the revenue or how it's going to positively positively impact what you're discussing in order to to sell out to to sell these items to your to, to your audience so yeah i think it's about rebranding what you learned that is super super conceptual and organize it in a way that it seems more related to the business language that they use perhaps you get this answer all the time, but I think this really works you really need to to work on it because it's not easy mm-hmm. uh, but that's that's the way
0: yeah yeah it implies understanding their you know their drivers their motivations their language really well
1: now that you yeah. Now that you mention it, for example, one of the things that I, I, I honestly do is that I have my, like, my own company dictionary, <laughs> so I really, it's like doing ethnography, right? So you need to understand this, this language that they have. What are the words that really trigger positive notions or that get approvals from the business side? So I really have my like my whole deck, my document on, okay, these are the keywords that I need to use in order to sell them an idea. Perhaps not going so theoretical, not, what are the, the, the key items? And in that way, if I mimic what they are talking about on how they are talking about certain items, I increase my chances on really getting to them to the point of making a decision Around an anthropological theme that is rebranded. So have a, a dictionary. That' really works.: that's
0: <laughs> yeah, no, a good suggestion. So you earlier, at some point when we were talking, mentioned you know strategy. And so you know, and, and elsewhere online, you know, it seems like you're focused on, you know, really, what is the outcome? you know, of the work that you're doing and you just said, you know, it's about money. So, you know, presumably you are focused on um, at least, maybe not a, you know, I don't want to say, I don't want to put words into your mouth, but essentially like, you know, a sustainable sort of outcome, right. That provides value. And so considering that you sort of frequently mention, you know, this, roughly this this the importance of this of this mindset. Could you talk a little bit about um, you know how you bring anthropology into the strategic work you do and what that really means for you?
1: Mm, okay, so right now, I'm working on different on different practices as for this specific company as a service designer. Uh, For example, let's talk about value proposition. And when you're talking about the value proposition of, just to make a a, a specific example of how to use a strategy, when you're talking about value proposition of a company, you cannot talk about the Well, you can. But uh, at the very beginning, you cannot talk about the tactical side. And I think as anthropologists or social scientists or cultural analysts, we are pretty much focused, uh, at least uh, a very large part of our work. It's conducting ethnography, right, to understand what the audiences, what people are thinking. And ethnography, it's confused because I don't think so. I don't think it's this case, but it it seems very tactical. Like you go there, you 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 create your your questions or whatever, you use different methods and you go into the field, you take action, and then you analyze it. Of course, there's an strategy behind that, but oftentimes we forget that as social scientists. Uh, I do I conduct ethnography. Yeah. Yeah, okay, you conduct ethnography, but you do something else. You the the pre-work in order to achieve that ethnographical aspect that you want is the strategical. You need to think about how to approach the people. You need to to think about what types of, what type of questions you're going to frame, to frame in order to really get interesting answers. Uh, you need to think about how to present the results for different stakeholders. So there's a strategic side at the very beginning, and I would say, within the journey, but at the very beginning that it's all oftentimes forgotten, misrepresented. and Why am I talking about this? Because that specific moment, the, the mentality that you use is the same thing or the same item that you need to use when you're working on a strategical uh, projects such as value proposition. When you're talking about value proposition then again in order to take uh, my my example you're not talking about okay we're going to do field work you're talking about the structural side the structural side of a company the purpose the position the why we need to do this what's the direction what what is it our 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 route or our yeah our objective And what is our intention? What are the consequences behind the actions that of the model that we are going to create? Uh, How are we going to create a meaningful experience product or service for our audiences? So when you start to ask these questions, as you notice, these are not tactical questions. When do I do fieldwork? How I no. These questions are talking about the broader system that encompasses being and developing and designing within a company. So we need to really take a step back as anthropologists and understand that we truly are strategic if we set out to be strategic, if we understand that we have a purpose, we have the ability of shaping the right questions in the right moments. And those questions are what are going to lead different stakeholders or different actors involved within a project to set the clear route or the clear path within a project and not miss out or lose focus in something that is super, super tactical. What is the essence of what I'm doing? What? Why is it important? And I think when that when you follow that recipe, then you are able to be strategic or start to be strategic in some way. Right.
0: And so you like to, you know, you like to share your perspective as you're doing on this podcast, but also in your own ways. Um, so you know, with the digital magazine. With the summit, you're you are really trying to get this message out there. Of course, there's you know a benefit to Flipa, like right. You know, I mean, there is there is a, a portion of that that helps the organization be seen, potentially get customers, etc. But um, I know from talking to you, you also just have an interest in sort of spreading the good word, helping other people understand the value of business anthropology and I think that's both within the business anthropology community and the business sector at large and you could I think from speaking with you it's also in academia and outside of academia so could you maybe tell us you know what what kind of got you kicked off on this path to start an online summit to start the digital magazine
1: um I knew there was a need i mean when i got to colombia i i very 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 fast <laughs> understood that there was a an important lack of knowledge there was a void that i needed to fill in very fast in order for for people to really understand what anthropology was when it was said my cannot tell you to, to point out like a, a moment of time, but I very quickly knew that that was my purpose and the purpose of Flipa. Of, of course, it brings clients, it creates awareness of the comp- on, on the company, but that's not our purpose. Our purpose is for that young guy or young girl or young person that's 23 and it's at the second semester of anthropology, to hear about, oh my God, Lipa is telling me or whatever Natalia Uzme is sharing with me, or someone told me that anthropologists can really apply or can really work within the business sector, that there is a a path that I can continue when I uh, when I finish or when I graduate. I I have value or yeah, I'm valuable or as 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 for my profession because i see one time i actually talked with a with an anthropologist she was a young girl uh, she was within one of our our courses at at philippa we have well different online courses of on business anthropology at our academy and we ended up uh one of these courses and she started crying and i'm not telling it it sounds super like yeah but it is the it is the actual truth she started crying and she started uh saying uh, like thank you very much i really wasn't aware that i could do abc what we saw on the on the on the on the course i didn't know that i could do this i wasn't sure that i was going i was able to i was going to be able to apply all this knowledge after i graduated like you have opened my eyes in regards of my future, of my possibilities. Uh, so that was a very special moment yeah, for, for us because that's the purpose. You need to understand that you can actually do this with all the theoretical side that you have learned. You can apply it. So you need to believe in yourself. You need to start uh, focusing on UX research, service design, whatever, but you can do it trust then you me. You can get paid. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, um, I think that's that's a really nice outcome of the work that we have done uh, at Flippa. And as for the as for Flippa the magazine, which is the, the magazine that you were referring, um, we are just very passionate about it. We have talked about uh, diversity and inclusion. We have talked about designing a value proposition we have talked about market trends, and all of this, of course, image within how to perceive it, how to use it from an anthropological side. We we have 12 uh, editions or issues so far, and we are very happy about it. Then again, because we want to democratize what business anthropology, or call it cultural analysis is and what it can do for teams, also because oftentimes they say, "Oh, I'm a UX researcher, or I do ethnography at, uh, on the marketing side." Yeah, are you doing it? Are you sure? Because they often forget uh, context. They often forget that the user is not a user; he's a hu- he, she, or the person is a is a human. There are lots of things, lots of variables that you need to understand and and to consider in order to conduct, for example, an actual UX research. So I think that the magazine really brings awareness on how to expand your mindset as a practitioner in any field, actually, and how to use these uh, context-centric tools that, that we share. But our main goal is just to create awareness to spread the passion that we have because we are very passionate about it we we believe in it and that's pretty much it that, that's the secret we also created the summit that we had back in it was in I, don't,
0: May. I, don't I think May
1: yeah it was in May sorry thank you man uh, it was in May it was this edition was about uh, artificial intelligence and social sciences. How do they uh, uni- unify? How do they match in order to create different solutions, strategies, or even analysis for the business realm? And it was very interesting. And we do it out of, we want to spread out the work. We want to bring people like, such as you that have been working on the field. So in order of these young people that are hearing you to understand what are the possibilities, what is the future of our profession? Because, for example, we talked about Python, and then again, the, the, the discourse of anthropology needs to evolve. We need to talk about digital methods. We need to talk about um, artificial intelligence. And we, we brought out a set of 13 speakers exactly to do just that, to encourage young mm-hmm. minds I'm going to, to sound super commercial here, but yeah, it it is like that. Encourage young minds to think differently about their profession and to understand what the future holds. I mean, they want to take a look just out of curiosity. That's, that's good for us just to see what's around.
0: Great. Yeah, well, um, you know, obviously, it, you know, I think we share... Uh, something there because a lot of this podcast is very much about showing other people the journey that they can go on and uh, certainly the summit was great I recommend everybody check it out next year the magazine as well and so do you have any future plans for the summit or magazine beyond what it is today
1: that's a very good question Um, no I I wouldn't right now I cannot give you a definite answer but What we're aiming for is creating a community, a digital community, so perhaps within that path, but it is pretty raw right now. I couldn't tell you with with certainty. What we expect is, of course, for the magazine to keep growing, creating awareness. And as for the summit, like I mentioned, a a community of practitioners, Mm, how? It is to be defined. I would. I would. That that would be my answer. Yeah.
0: Great. Well, we'll look forward to seeing where it goes. It. You know, I'm sure it'll be great. Whatever you do, as the previous one. So, um. You know, in sort of. One of the last things, considering how much you're interested in inspiring others, something I ask a lot of people, though not everybody, is what you might recommend to. Somebody else who wants to do this, and of course, that's you know, it could, you know, of course, they could attend a summit, they could take the courses that you have at the FLIPA website, they they could look at the magazine. But aside from those kind of things, what would you suggest somebody do if they want to start their own consultancy, you know, on business anthropology focused as you have, or? You know, just kind of get into this work, whether it's UX, service design, organizational, whatever it may be. Any sort of, any last thoughts on that?
1: Yeah. The first thing is that you need to change or reframe your mindset, because if you have spent the last five years at university, and I, I say this with all respect, of course, but they are telling you business is bad, business is bad. So you're going to start believing it because your condition, your you into a certain way of thinking. So the first thing it would be to give you the opportunity to think differently about businesses. That's the main and key aspect that is going to uh, allow you to approach it. So number two would be to really understand businesses. So you need to, for example, yeah, take a read, take different courses on how businesses actually work. What is the whole process that involves creating a product, creating a service, or creating an experience from the back, not not for the front, of course, but from the back and operational side. And what's the strategic thinking that these stakeholders that you're going to approach, what's the, the thinking, the way of thinking that they have? Once you do that, that ethnographic uh, fieldwork, whether you want to create a company or you want to start working in some of these fields, you need to start. And then again, I think this is this is going to be cliché, but it works. You need to start creating your own projects if you don't have any uh, current positions or uh, possibilities to join a company. So, what am I going to do? So, I'm going to start working on doing ethnography on the influencers of the future and how they are going to use to be based on artificial intelligence. And we're not going to have human influencers. That's just to give you an example. Sure. Okay, so I'm going to use uh, ethnographic thinking, perhaps ethnofiction. Then I'm going to create a business case and I'm going to suggest these key learnings, but I'm not just going to uh, arrive to the research side then again, if you don't, if you want to go into the other side, I'm going to present a set of strategical actions. I'm going to present a set of tactical actions, and I'm going to share it with ABC person or stakeholders. And in that way, I'm going to start thinking in the whole process, the systemic thinking, and not just be focusing, which is not bad, of course, but then again, you have other options. And I'm not just going to be uh, thinking about Ethnographic research and thinking—that's pretty much it, because that's not how it works. Uh, well, for businesses, they want results; they want something that is truly, truly uh, applicable, and that would be my advice. Or on a on a high
0: level, great, wonderful. Thanks for that. It's very uh, very hopeful, I'm sure, for many. So, for anybody, well, is there anything that you'd like to mention that? You know, anything you want to plug? Any I know we talked about the summit in the magazine. Uh, anything else?
1: Uh, no, I just keep believing that you uh, can do. Applied elements that you can work for the private sector give you the opportunity to think differently from what you have thought. Challenge it. That that's the way of thinking. Challenge everything that you think it's it's normal or it's usual, that's actually one of the items of, of Anthropology and I think that as for your career, that's what you need to do and decide whatever you want, but understanding the different uh, possibilities that you have. That would be my, my key message.
0: Wonderful. And where can everybody find you?
1: Well, they can find me, well, on LinkedIn, like you mentioned, Natalia Usme manrique that's how you can find me on, on LinkedIn and on Instagram, Natalia. I don't know how to say it in English. Raya el piso. I have to say it. like the, the
0: underscore.
1: Underscore, yeah. <laughs> Natalia <laughs> underscore Anthropologica and yeah, you can find me there and on Twitter uh, at Natalia Usme, and that's pretty much it. If you want to talk, I will be there. <laughs>
0: Fantastic. I'll link to all of those. So, Daya, thanks very much. It was great talking to you.
1: Thank you very much, Matt, for the the invite. I really enjoyed uh, our talk, and I hope that this makes uh, our audiences or your audiences think about how they approach their profession.
0: Thank you for listening to the Anthropology and Business Podcast. To learn everything you need to break into business anthropology, and why business anthropology is one of the best lenses for contributing to business success, visit my website at madarts.me, where I cover many topics related to business anthropology and beyond. There you will find all the podcast episodes, blogs, and news. Please like, share, and subscribe. See you next time.